rhapsody, enthusiastic expression of feeling, an epic poem, a recitation, highly emotional utterance, literary, music in a regular form, stitched together, improvised, a collection of effusive, extravagant discourse, rapturous ecstasy. You're listening to A Rose Rhapsody. I and now, Ernest Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises, Book One, Chapter One. Robert Cohn was once middleweight boxing champion of Princeton. Do not think that I am very much impressed by that as a boxing title, but it meant a lot to Cohn. He cared nothing for boxing, in fact, he disliked it. But he learned it painfully and thoroughly to counteract the feeling of inferiority and shyness he had felt on being treated as a Jew at Princeton. There was a certain inner comfort in knowing he could knock down anybody who was snooty to him, although being a shy and thoroughly nice boy, he never fought except in the gym. He was Spider Kelly's star pupil. Spider Kelly taught all his young gentlemen to box like featherweights, no matter whether they weighed 105 or 205 pounds. But it seemed to fit Cone. He was really very fast. He was so good that Spider promptly overmatched him and got his nose permanently flattened. This increased Cone's distaste for boxing, but it gave him a certain satisfaction of some strange sort. And it certainly improved his nose. In his last year at Princeton, he read too much and took to wearing spectacles. I never met anyone of his class who remembered him. They did not even remember that he was middleweight boxing champion. I mistrust all frank and simple people, especially when their stories hold together. And I always had a suspicion that perhaps Robert Cohn had never been middleweight boxing champion, and that perhaps a horse had stepped on his face or that maybe his mother had been frightened or seen something, or that he had maybe bumped into something as a young child. But I finally had somebody verify the story from Spider Kelly. Spider Kelly not only remembered Cone, he had often wondered what had become of him. Robert Cone was a member, through his father, of one of the richest Jewish families in New York, and through his mother, of one of the oldest. At the military school where he prepped for Princeton and played a very good end on the football team, no one had made him race-conscious. No one had ever made him feel he was a Jew and hence any different from anybody else until he went to Princeton. He was a nice boy, a friendly boy, and very shy, and it made him bitter. He took it out in boxing, and he came out of Princeton with painful self-consciousness and the flattened nose, and was married by the first girl who was nice to him. He was married five years, had three children, lost most of the $50,000 his father left him, the balance of the estate having gone to his mother, hardened into a rather unattractive mold under domestic unhappiness with a rich wife, and just when he had made up his mind to leave his wife, she left him and went off with a miniature painter. As he had been thinking for months about leaving his wife and had not done it because it would be too cruel to deprive her of himself, Her departure was a very healthful shock. The divorce was arranged, and Robert Cohn went out to the coast. 
In California, he fell among literary people, and as he still had a little of the 50,000 left, in a short time he was backing a review of the arts. The review commenced publication in Carmel, California, and finished in Provincetown, Massachusetts. By that time, Cohn, who had been regarded purely as an angel, and whose name had appeared on the editorial page merely as a member of the advisory board, had become the sole editor. It was his money, and he discovered he liked the authority of editing. He was sorry when the magazine became too expensive and he had to give it up. By that time, though, he had other things to worry about. He had been taken in hand by a lady who hoped to rise with the magazine. She was very forceful, and Cohn never had a chance of not being taken in hand. Also, he was sure that he loved her. When this lady saw that the magazine was not going to rise, she became a little disgusted with Cohn and decided that she might as well get what there was to get while there was still something available. So she urged that they go to Europe where Cohn could write. They came to Europe where the lady had been educated and stayed three years. During these three years, the first spent in travel, the last two in Paris, Robert Cohn had two friends, Braddock's and myself. Braddock's was his literary friend. I was his tennis friend. The lady who had him, her name was Frances, found toward the end of the second year that her looks were going, and her attitude toward Robert changed from one of careless possession and exploitation to the absolute determination that he should marry her. During this time, Robert's mother had settled an allowance on him, about $300 a month. During two years and a half, I do not believe that Robert Cohn looked at another woman. He was fairly happy, except that, like many people living in Europe, he would rather have been in America, and he had discovered writing. He wrote a novel, and it was not really such a bad novel as the critics later called it, although it was a very poor novel. He read many books, played bridge, played tennis, and boxed at a local gymnasium. I first became aware of his lady's attitude toward him one night after the three of us had dined together. We had dined at L'Avenue and afterward went to the Café du Versailles for coffee. We had several finds after the coffee, and I said I must be going. Cohn had been talking about the two of us going off somewhere on a weekend trip. He wanted to get out of town and get in a good walk. I suggested we fly to Strasbourg and walk up to Saint-Odile or somewhere other in Alsace. I know a girl in Strasbourg who can show us the town, I said. Somebody kicked me under the table. I thought it was accidental and went on. She's been there two years and knows everything there is to know about the town. She's a swell girl. I was kicked again under the table, and looking saw Frances, Robert's lady, her chin lifting and her face hardening. Well, I said, why go to Strasbourg? We could go up to Bruges or to the Ardennes. Cohn looked relieved. I was not kicked again. I said good night and went out. Cohn said he wanted to buy a paper and would walk to the corner with me. For God's sake, he said. Why did you say that about that girl in Strasbourg for? Didn't you see Francis? No, why should I? If I know an American girl that lives in Strasbourg, what the hell is it to Francis? It doesn't make any difference. Any girl. I couldn't go. That would be all. Don't be silly. You don't know Francis. Any girl at all. Didn't you see the way she looked? Oh, well, I said. Let's go to Saint Lee. Now, don't get sore. I'm not sore. Saint Lee is a good place, and we can stay at the Grand Serre and 
take a hike in the woods and come home. Good. That will be fine. Well, I'll see you tomorrow at the courts, I said. Yeah, good night, Jake, he said, and started back to the cafe. You forgot to get your paper, I said. Ah, that's so. He walked with me up to the kiosk at the corner. You are not sore, are you, Jake? He turned with the paper in his hand. No, why should I be? See you at tennis, he said. I watched him walk back to the cafe holding his paper. I rather liked him, and evidently she led him quite a life. You've been listening to Chapter One of The Sun Also Rises by Ernest Hemingway. I'm Christopher Lane. Can't wait to hear more? The story continues every month right here at The Rose Rhapsody. of The Rose Rhapsody drop the first Monday of every month and can be found on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you take your listening pleasure. That fabulous horn you've been hearing belongs to Marcus Roots, along with his collaborator on the keys, Adrian Ruiz. Additional tracks from Sessions of Rhapsody in Blue feature guitarist Matt Gold, Hader Garcia on percussion, and the tenor saxophone of Irvin Pierce. To learn more about us and what we do, head over to theroserhapsody.com. And if you love interesting new content as much as we do, spread the word or drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. week's podcast was produced by Trevor Cochran and Richard C. Washer and is a product of the Rose Theater Company. All rights reserved. I'm Leslie Kopolinski. Now let's get back to that horn. <laughs>